Avid, I know you don't have to sort your shit out because everyone's just buying your product already, but please, for the love of God, sort your shit out. Eventually, it is going to bite you in the ass. And I know you listen to this podcast. I know. Hey, cats. It's four o'clock in the morning. I'm out here in Harlem, outside Vitis Studios, and you're listening to A Sound Purchase. Everybody's here but the police, and they'll be here any minute. It's high time, so here it is. Smooth. No one's ever going to know it was our fifth attempt at the start. All right. <laughs> there we go. Uh, well, Jake, we're going to dive straight into it. We're going to dive straight right. into it today because we are joined by a fantastic guest. One of our longest running guests, actually. Mm-hmm. Speak of the devil and he shall appear. Danny. Hello. Hello. Hey guys, how's it Hello. going? What are we What are we doing to deserve you coming onto our podcast so much? Car, right? I know. About the car. I warned you about him playing yeah. stings over the top of you, starting to try and say something. No, it's fine. The trick is whenever Stefan stops speaking, give him like four or five seconds to find and trigger a sting <laughs> every time. Okay, but with okay, the power then. of post production, it's seamless in the episode. It's a bit like Big Bang Theory, right? You've just got to give him space after everything for the imaginary laugh, and then then you can carry on. <laughs> You're going to be cracking up at that seagull by the end of this, I'm telling you. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Please tell me you've not got it planned for it. Fun fact for you, actually. My three-year-old son mispronounces seagull as seagull. Stephen Seagull. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so now, whenever I hear about Stephen Seagull, it's... There we go. So and generally, he doesn't call him Stephen Seagull. Like I've called him that because it's it's literally easy to say Seagull. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And Jason Seagull. Yeah, Ty Seagull. You know. Well, Seagull. there you go. Yeah. Uh, today we are here. We're convening to talk about some wonderful, wonderful people in a wonderful, wonderful band. Okay. Cool. 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 Okay. So we're here talking about no doubt. Tragic Kingdom. Have you guys had much experience with this album prior to this kind of lead up? Yeah, I mean, obviously all the singles that were released in the 90s, Mm. like, you know, growing up as a kid in America in the 90s, there's definitely some bangers on here, but I didn't know the rest of the album tracks. The ones that weren't released were unfamiliar to me. And to be fair, you actually grew up in LA, close to more or less where the band is from. Close to Orange County, yeah. Mm. Because they're from, is it Anaheim? Mm. Near there, yeah. 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 Mm. Um, no. <laughs> okay, for me. Obviously, I knew like <laughs> Don't Speak gets played on the radio all the time. But other than that, it was, uh, I, I've just known, like, same as Danny, really, the singles, not necessarily from this album, but just like, you know, Hella Good and mm. Mm. No uh, Don't Speak and um, that cover they did of um, It's My Life. Uh, it's My Life, yeah, yeah, and stuff like that. I think Gwen Stefani's later solo stuff was probably a bit more prominent because that was coming out as I was sort of getting into mm. music, I guess, and paying more attention to music. Yeah. Whereas No Doubt were just sort of, they were just sort of there and their stuff sometimes got played on MTV2 or VH1 if you were watching VH1. I was I was kind of a mixture of you both where I knew of Hella Good and underneath it all, 
and same with you, Danny, where it's like the singles of this album were really the only ones that I knew. Although I was 14 or 15 when I very first heard uh, Just a Girl for the first time. So I I assume that Tragic Kingdom was just Don't Speak (laughs) and songs like Don't Speak and in my angst of youth was not very enthused by Don't Speak. Uh, so I heard Just a Girl and it was like, oh, I was running like a, a holiday holiday program with with friend of the show, Pubber, actually. We were running some bands and one of the bands had been tasked to play Just a Girl and I wasn't looking forward to it. And they started playing and I was like, oh, actually, you know what? This song's all right. So, obviously, we were, we were talking earlier and um, American Scar and Birdwave Scar in particular, it's never really been my bag. That's definitely not my bag, baby. It's not my bag, baby. <laughs> to bring back the Austin Powers chat. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it was just some kind of something I've, I've never really paid too much attention to, to be honest mm. with you. Mm. Mm. Oh, well, I'm going to start off today with a nice little game show for you. Ooh. Ooh. No, to be fair, it's not much of a quick fire today. They're never quick fire, Stefan. They're never quick fire. <laughs> With the power of editing. I don't think you know what quick fire means. <laughs> quick fire. Today we're going to play a little game. It's called Two Truths and a Lie. And I think we actually last played this on the Bruce Springsteen episode where, Danny, you were featured. Yeah. So we, we all know how this game works. For those of you <laughs> listening at home, I'm going to read out three scenarios. Two of them are truths. About the band, no doubt. No doubt, no doubt, no doubt, no doubt. And the other is a complete lie about the band, no doubt. Okay, It is your task to decide which one is the lie out of the truths. Does that make sense? Yes, sir. We last played this on Idols episode. Did we? Yeah. So false. One point for me. I have a feeling John Robb's in his basement somewhere, just chalking this down on his blackboard. We've got a, we've got a like an Uber fan stalker. Possibly, he's he's desperate to prove us wrong because we read one of his reviews and lambasted him. We're manufacturing some beef, basically. Yeah. Oh. guy. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm not actually sure if John Robb knows that we're man- manufacturing this beef, but it's going to get back mm. to him. We've been pretty open about the fact we're manufacturing the beef, but um, I don't think that will reach him. I think it will just be the initial criticisms that yeah. were labelled against his, frankly, subpar journalism. Wow. Shots fired. Shots fired. Hey, man, got to keep the beef going. Uh, yeah. Well, that's right. That's right. So here we go. Two truths and a lie. So Gwen Stefani is to blame for the Trump administration. Stefani uh, became a host of the US game show The Voice. And due to her bona fides, she was able to command a hefty appearance fee. Trump was also up for contract renewal for The Apprentice. But NBC, the network that owns both shows, refused to match Stefani's fees. So in an effort to boost his own public profile, he decided to run for office. Ellipsis, the rest is history. Number one. Number two. Stefani almost married Brad Pitt. 
Stefani has claimed that she auditioned for the role of Mrs. Smith in the now infamous Mr. and Mrs. Smith film. Infamous mainly because Mr. Pitt and the eventual co-lead Angelina Jolie began an affair and eventually became the premier celebrity couple Brangelina. Stefani has claimed that she was in the final two for that role. And number three, no doubt were just not good enough to perform at the Super Bowl. No doubt were asked to play at the 2003 Super Bowl halftime show, but were not trusted enough to perform the set by themselves. They were forced to share the billing with Shania Twain, who performed a couple of her own songs, and then they were joined on stage by none other than Sting. It has been suggested that No Doubt required more star power to perform. I mean, I've seen... I've seen the Donald Trump Gwen Stefani thing and it wasn't like Michael Moore that claimed it and it's like yeah you can claim it but does that make it true uh, <laughs> um, wow I've never heard of any of these scenarios I, I definitely heard that one and it'd be funny to think that he ran for president just because Gwen Stefani was getting paid more than him I mean it does sound like something he would do though he is pretty uh, petty at but you, you, you can't claim that that was a definitive reason behind it right as for the other two, which Super Bowl did you say it was? It was... 2003, so it would have been around the oh, time it's like of the Halligan. height of their power. No, actually, was that the yeah. height of their power? I think That's so. Like when they were on the way out of their power and Gwen's power was on the up. I, I think it was literally in support of the album that had uh, hella good. Oh, yeah, that was that would have been about them, wouldn't it? Um, yeah. All right, so I'm going to say that based on the thing, uh, I reckon one is probably not provably true, but true. Two was, I mean, I've almost married Brad Pitt. We've all done that, so that seems true. Um, Charming guy. I think one and three are true. I reckon two is false. That's what I was going to go for as well. Two, uh, acting. I don't think she's got that far with acting. I just realised I've made a, I've made a huge mistake. <laughs> um, <laughs> is it because one and two are both false and three is true? No, I think I think one and two are, are technically true. Apart from obviously, I've gone a bit crazy on the almost married part, but she oh, right, was yeah. actually up for the role, and they did actually play at the Super Bowl with Shania Twain and Sting. But the lie was that it was suggested uh, they needed more star power. Anyway, right. I, I ruined it. I ruined everything. It's not the first time. It won't yeah. be last. I should have just done what I initially planned was Gwen Stefani versus Courtney Love. And then we could have just had a match off. But yeah. <laughs> well, let's let's run away from that pretty quick. Let's talk about some music. It's showtime. Let's talk about some music. No doubt uh, Gwen Stefani on the vocals, Tom Dumont on the guitar, Tony Canal on the bass, Adrian Young on the drums and percussion, and Eric Stefani, no relation to Gwen. In yes, fact, he he's all the relation, I know. <laughs> on the piano and keyboards, but he left the band after recording this record. I had no idea that he was actually in the band. I had no, no idea who he existed, I. first <laughs> of all. Yeah. Although he became an animator on The Simpsons. He was kind of already doing a bit of animation. Mm. But what I find funny is they say, so it's like, oh, he left after it was recorded. But then if you look at interviews, it's like, oh, you know, accusations that they'd sold out. They're like, oh, no, well, actually, it's because Eric's gone and we're doing more of the music that we want to do, and Gwen is doing more of the lyrics and stuff. Mm. But then the album had been written before he left. Well, I mm. think he was, he's, well, he's definitely performing on some of it. 
it's probably something like there's a bit of bit of tension going on in there, and he's gone, oh, "I'm out of here." Well, he didn't like touring. Thing. That was that was the or big that. thing. It was like not attention per se. He just couldn't stand touring. Fair enough. It's not for everyone. I don't no. think I could handle touring, like week in, week out, week in, week out. Depends what I'm being paid. To be well, honest. Well, this is true. This is a good point. <laughs> Yeah, I'll do anything if I get paid enough. Yeah, exactly. There we go. So the band began as a third wave ska band, which Jake has already kind of mentioned, alongside other third wave bands like Sublime and Real Big Fish. Allegedly due to this, and possibly some extra kind of misogyny, no doubt famously struggled to gain radio airplay. A member of K-Rock, California's Infinite Repeat, was quoted as saying, it's going to take an act of God for No Doubt to be played on (laughs) K-Rock. The irony is, once No Doubt broke, especially with Don't Speak, they actually played K-Rock events, highlighting the short-sightedness and hypocrisy of radio. But I wanted to take a quick detour, if I can, to talk about some Scar, because we all know that Scar is a big thing for me. Yep. There are three waves of scar, just like there's three waves of coffee. Two big things for me. Well, how would what would you know? So, the first wave starts in Jamaica, and it's a lot slower. Mm-hmm. The second wave is from Jamaican immigrants coming through to the UK and mixing with the youth of the UK, who are all bubbling around punk at the same time, mm. and it explodes into this two tone scar with madness and specials. Selector, bad manners, and so on. Very fast paced, very energetic. And then the third wave actually comes out of Danny's native of California, where it's basically 80s hair metal meets ska music, is the best way to put it. <laughs> but don't take me at my word for it. So anyway, the band auditioned. This is uh, our friends, no doubt. No doubt, no doubt, no doubt, no doubt. They auditioned for Jimmy Iovine's label, Interscope Records, and were told by Iovine in the early days before Tragic Kingdom to come back in three years, that's the quote, as they needed to develop. And Gwen said in an interview that it was almost three years to the day that he actually signed them to Interscope and they began working on Tragic Kingdom. Kind of. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're going to get to my thoughts, obviously, on this album, but I don't feel like they're very fully developed on this <laughs> album. You know, I think Jimmy could have probably let them stew for another year or so, but that's not to give the game away or anything, you know. This is actually the band's third record. Many people believe that this is their first record, mainly because this is the one where they, they broke up. Well, they didn't break up, but they broke into the mainstream, kind mm. of into the charts and so on. 
And ironically, the band have really swung for the fences and made an album for themselves, which, you know, some of us grow up being influenced by people telling us to go with the flow rather than make the music that satisfy our own musical ambitions, you know, oh, well, you need to get to the chorus within 30 seconds if you want your song on the radio sort of thing. And a lot of people I find actually bend to that. And I think we can all agree that our own band, Fourth Avenue, was definitely bending to that, trying to go with what we were being told was the right thing to do to write a pop song, Mm -hmm. as opposed to just going, actually, you know what, I want to write a song like this. That's my feeling of it anyway. And I feel that, uh, yeah, in, uh, in the end, that's why our band didn't quite work out. Don't ask me, man. I just play bass. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. I just laughed so hard my uh, headphones fell off. <laughs> it sounded like you headbutt your computer. Yeah? <laughs> so the record touches on themes of heartbreak, equality, adolescence, and youth, themes that continue to be relevant today, making this album sound relatively fresh even after 26 years. Musically speaking, though, I've got some issues. I've got issues with Stefani on this record, as there are songs where her vocal choices and delivery are just impeccable. And then there are some songs where the choices suffer, and my ears suffer because of it. (laughs) I'm just throwing that out there. That's not foreshadowing of, of the episode to come. That's just... Something we need to talk about because she's she's got an amazing voice. And like Jake said, she kind of proved that really in her solo career. But there's a couple of songs on this album where I'm just saying, What what are you doing? What are you why are you singing like that? It's so weird. But Danny, you're our resident singing expert, so you'll be able to help me, I'm sure. <laughs> okay. Well, as as we go along, we can discuss yeah, yeah, yeah. or what you want my okay, yeah. yeah. Okay. I'll I'll let you know as it comes up. So <laughs> Are there any other contextual points we need to need to go over? Um, what about the album cover? Obviously, it's one of the first things you see when buying an album. And I um, I really like the artwork. It's got that like really retro feel, but with all of these like little hints that it's not going to be that idealistic, you know, nineteen fifties stereotype that you mm. first see when you when you see it. You know, I mean, just the fact that she's in this like cute little retro dress, but then it's like almost shiny like a latex which you know it's not the material you would expect <laughs> and then you've got all the lads like you know quite preppy actually with their little like polo shirts they're, yeah they're in like bowling shirts aren't they it's, it's like very very scar right but then they're they're sat like under this tree that's like almost dead all the leaves have fallen off even though it's the middle of summer it's really bright and then you've got mm. if you look closely you've got all these little like flies like embedded over the top. Yep. I feel like that sets the tone. Like not everything is what it seems and they're going to sort of break down these stereotypes and idealistic views. So that's my point about the album cover. Nice. Two things to, to raise on that. Apparently that dress has been stolen oh, and never recovered because it was it was up for auction or something. So that that's a fun little tidbit. But also you touched on retro Danny. Mm. Yeah, have you seen our retro t-shirts? We've got sound purchase retro t-shirts for sale right now. They're beautiful. Tell me all about them. They're just absolutely stunning. You wouldn't believe it. Sounds right. Jake got his one today as well. It's top quality and the print looks like it won't come off in the wash. (laughs) 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 
There you go. That, that, that's the plug. It's yeah. still in the cellophane packaging, never to be opened. Uh, that'll be worth no. something to me in a few years. Yeah. How many episodes have we done now? We've never thought to critique or talk about an album cover before. <laughs> oh, no, we have. We've we talked about it on Devo, I'm pretty sure. I don't know if we did. I'll have to listen to it again. Maybe we did. I don't know. Yeah. And the mollusk. We talked about it on the mollusk, the, the fabled mollusk episode. I don't think we ever did an episode on the mollusk. I've, we keep oh, talking about it, but um, I think that was just a fever dream and we actually need to do an episode where we can put it in I've at number one. I've been listening one. to the mollusk a lot recently and just like almost crying to myself <laughs> that it's not on my top 10 anymore. I will say, I will just say, look, my last point is this was produced by Matthew Wilder. And looking over his Wikipedia, he was the voice for Ling in the animated Mulan. He was the singing oh. voice for Ling, but I actually don't think he has much of a uh, production discography, and it shows big time. <laughs> I'm sorry, Matthew, but rope them in, man. You know, I was going to say, like, how many studios was this recorded in? Exactly. Yeah. Like we spoke recently about Queens of the Stone Age, and yeah. we were like, oh, that's been recorded. That was recorded like four or five studios. Yeah. And you just look at this, and it's like, oh Christ, yeah. there's like ten studios. Total Access Studios, The Record Plant, Santa Monica Sound, NRG, Rumbo, Mars, Studio 4, Grandmaster, Clear Lake Audio, Red Zone, North Vine. It's like more or less a different studio for each song. Yeah, and that's another point, actually. This is an hour-long record. There's 14 songs. Mm. You know, I never thought that was a lot growing up in the CD age, but now that we've been looking at all these records and so on, and there's usually only 12, this one's got an extra two. That's punishing. Anyway, should we have a listen to it? Sure. Go for it. So track number one, 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 is Spiderwebs. There was a ghost! It's, it's ectoplasm! Did you see the ghost? It ran through here, it, it slimed me! What? 
How's that relevant to spiderwebs? Yeah. <laughs> My dad's going to like it. It's fine. <laughs> Come on, man. You can't just throw any stinger. You may as well just play, just play the Rhodes one. Just play the Rhodes one. I am clearly on a higher plane than you two right now. Okay. Just right over my head. Yeah. The second single for the record was Spiderwebs, the first song. The song is seemingly about a stalker that has Gwen feeling trapped in his web. There's an awesome Lazy Phil to start us off. And Jake, you know what I say about Lazy Phil's? Lazy Phil is the best Phil other than Collins. Yeah. This leans heavily into their scar roots. I've got a big problem with bands that use horns frequently but don't actually have horns in their band. Maybe because I've been in a scar band with horns and there was like nine of us. So it's like having to divvy up money between nine of you sucks. But it's worth it because you've got horns. And there's just like a, a real bias around it. But anyway. I love how your problem is you had to divvy up money. Like, I, I don't remember the last time I was paid for a gig. <laughs> well, when you, when, you pay, when you play at your dad's 40th birthday, you know. <laughs> so the scar does not last long. As the band go through a sonic metamorphosis, or metamorphosis, sorry, and shed their scar cocoon for a more mainstream sound. Those pinch harmonics, though, seriously. I know, right? That's like my uh, first note. All, all yeah. of the pinched squealy harmonics. <laughs> I love the pinch harmonics. That's like my favorite thing. Um, it's a common thing throughout this record is occasionally they just sprinkle a little bit of scar back in there to remind everybody that they're actually a scar band. But the best moments off this record have nothing to do with the scar parts at all, if you think about the, the massive singles. Um, the vocals enter and it sounds like Stefani is singing in like a half voice. This is a song where her voice sounds pretty good. I think she's using her voice very well in this song. The pre-chorus sees her use her full voice and there's an excellent kind of slide on spinning. So dirty and filthy, but so good. The chorus sees drummer Adrian Young get his Motown on, something he does quite a lot, actually, through choruses on the album. The Motown beat is the snare on every single beat. Mm. The second chorus has a cool kind of synth counter melody. And a bridge kicks in with a memorable melody. We've got a solo of sorts. It's an odd choice, isn't it, Jake, to have your like rhythm tremolo guitar way at the front of the mix and your solo guitar <laughs> right at the back of the mix. 
It's almost like the producer doesn't have a lot of producing credits. Oh, brother, this guy stinks! Yeah, it's a little bit of an odd choice. I mean, yeah. hey, man, you, sometimes you just got to throw stuff at the wall and see what sticks, right? You know, and it was yeah. the 90s. It was an experimental time. We've covered a lot of 90s albums. There's a lot of weird stuff going on. There are some things that should have took off that didn't, like Vibraslap, and then there's other things that didn't really take off, and I feel like this is one of those things, and for a reason. It's kind of just lost in there, right? It's not yeah. like it doesn't jump out at you. It's like, ah, guitar solo. I don't know if it really needs a guitar solo either, to be honest with you. Like, it would have been cooler to do something with the horns again, or I don't know. But mm. as you say, it's got that whole still kind of that hair metal-esque, hence the harmonics. The yeah. um, Is it a phaser that they've got on a guitar or some sort Possibly, of modulation yeah. and a guitar solo? Because you have to have a guitar solo and... All right, it's the 90s now. We won't use a dive bomb, but still. Um, <laughs> but we should, because that would make it 10 times better. <laughs> that's something from the 80s that never should have gone away. Yeah. Every guitar should be equipped with a Floyd Rose and dive bombs should be mandatory in all pop music. You know, can you imagine you're listening to like some Dua Lipa and then it's just a dive bomb and that'll make it like 20 times better? <laughs> yeah, a surprise from out of nowhere dive bomb. Yeah, out of nowhere. Just put a whammy on her voice or something. You know, it'd be brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so that I'm I'm not sure about the solo choice. I think it's a good point you make. The horns could have come back there mm. if they were going to do something. That would have been pretty good. I feel it would have made more of a statement if they'd come back. But mm. uh, what do I know? I've I don't have any like diamond selling records. So what do I know? Yeah. Well, I mean, and this is another <laughs> thing that we're going to come back to, or I'm going to come back to across this record is like. They seemingly have cracked the code of how to write a pop song. And not necessarily because of the two singles that they had that were massive, but more just, especially the studio techniques that they're using, mm. it seems very much like, well, no, we have to do that because that's what you do on a pop song. Yeah. And this is, this is one of those kind of moments where it's like, well, no, we, we, we have to have a guitar solo. Because that's you know? at the time, that's what you did. Yeah. We head into an ethereal breakdown with layered vocals. That's probably the most tasteful use of Stefani's voice as a BV on the record because most of the other BVs that she provides are, again, way too far up in the mix. And it's, it's quite jarring, I find. Mm-hmm. I gotta put it out there. I've never been a big fan of the lead singer doing their own BVs. No, like if neither. your band can't do the BVs, just don't bother. Yeah, one hundred percent on board with that. Find something else to fill that space. Yeah. And before we end, Danny, have you have you what have you got about this song? Well, boys, you did cover a lot there. Um, I guess what I like about this track is I feel like it really sets up the album well as a first song. Mm. It tells you, you know, we're going to hear a lot of different genres, about a little bit of ska, a little bit of that kind of pop punk feel. And, mm. and then, like you said, it hints at the Motown, which is, these are things that happen throughout the album. The songs just kind of mash different genres together. I did have a few fun facts about this song as well. Cool. Um, so, you know, this song is about, it seems to be like about a stalker, right? Mm-hmm. So Gwen Stefani had given her number to this guy and then he just kept calling her in the middle of the night to like recite and sing poetry at her. 
And he'd be like, oh, I wrote this new one. And she just couldn't get him to stop calling. But she felt too nice to like hang up on him. And it was her and um, Canal who they ended up writing this song about that guy. Another thing they talked about, I was watching an interview with them. They were talking about this song is the the opening to this because it's got that real kind of like almost Caribbean feel to it, mm. you know? Mm. And they did that on purpose. They were trying to emulate Blondie's version of The Tide is High. And then once you listen to it back, you're like, oh my God, this is the tide is high, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Specifically, what they liked about the tide is high is how Blondie then like, you know, experiments with different tempos, like with rhythms to create different feels like different tempos. Um, right. Going into different rhythms. And that's what they were doing here. So you can tell they're, they're thinking about the songs that they're writing as well, which mm. I always like that when it's kind of educated writing. And then my last little fun fact for you, this song became really popular in the 90s. People then started using it as their answering machine message. Leave a message and I'll call you back. Well, that's brilliant, isn't it? Like, you know, you've made it when everyone's using you as an answering machine song, right? <laughs> well, exactly. Not that the kids will really know what an answering machine is now, I think. <laughs> Back in our day. Yeah. <laughs> Voicemail is still a thing on mobile, right? A voicemail, but yeah, not an actual go. answering you know, machine. Because everyone's always like, you know, oh, hey, how you doing? Psych! Leave <laughs> <laughs> a message at the beep. Yeah, I got I got I got caught out with a lot of those. Yeah, okay. So the ending, they really struggled to end the song, in my opinion. They should have ended it after the chorus coming out of the breakdown, but instead they do it like a double chorus with a bridge and then another double chorus, which is, you know, it's a bit of overkill. But they finally end with in the second double chorus, the last run through is a scar version of that chorus to kind of bookend it with the horns and everything. and It's a Bee yeah. Gees fade, right? Yeah, pretty much, right? Like, And again, yeah. I don't really want to blame the band for that. I think that's more of a production thing because the producer is ultimately going to be the tastemaker and the person that says, like, out of everything that the band is throwing at them, the producer should be the one that's experienced and kind of going, ah, yeah, well, we need to end that a lot sooner, you know? Especially if you've got someone like a Rick Rubin who really does do the structuring of the songs for you. But yeah. So let's hear it anyway. Okay, the next song is Excuse Me, Mister. So Spiderwebs was the second single released off the record. Excuse Me, Mister was the fourth single from the record. And that should tell you everything about how they uh, promoted this album because they ringed it for all they had. Let's get as many singles out as we can. Uh, to be fair, man, I feel that was like the 90s. Like, If you look at an album like Nevermind, like how many singles did they have off that album? Like six. I mean, this is a bit of bit of apple and oranges because those are all amazing, amazing songs. Yeah, but the, the yeah. point is, I think get as many singles as you can out of an album. Yeah, I mean, this is definitely the '90s kind of hungover from the '80s of greed and mm. you know, let's make as much money as we can. We need it for all the cocaine we've spent our money on. Exactly. And, uh, cocaine on. 
So this is the perfect companion for the previous song. It's not really about a stalker, but it's still kind of a bit obsessive. And Jake, you'll like this. It begins with an intro kind of styled off Tony Hawk Pro Skater soundtrack. It's very pop punk. Yeah. Scar's kind of been left at the wayside. Oh, well, again, the Scar, the Scar keeps poking its head back just to, just to let you know. But for now, it's... Uh... Yeah. So it begins with that intro until a, a really shockingly weak organ cuts in and kind of sours the whole thing. Let's listen to that just once more. I'm not really that surprised that he left the band if that was his contribution sometimes not everything has to be big and powerful you know sometimes you need like a little weedy organ silence is fantastic sometimes sometimes but sometimes you need that little something that little a little pizzazz that little pinch of MSG that makes your general so flavor enhancer yeah (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and sometimes it's a little weedy organ, you know. Help us out, Danny. Like I said. Does it sound terrible? Pasta, wool, throw it, stick. <laughs> I don't know. I, it kind of, it's just their sound, isn't it? He comes in with these high <laughs> yeah. keyboard chords sometimes. You're like, oh, okay, that's what he does. <laughs> I don't have a big problem. Well, I kind of have a problem with the song, but, we'll, you know, we'll get to that. <laughs> Okay, okay. So the verse kicks right in with a double-time groove. And again, just like the last song, kind of not even going down the route of Scar, despite them identifying as a Scar band. This is more in that pop-punk vein. The pre-chorus completely redeems the organ. And in a move that I actually find surprising and actually kind of cool is the chorus is dynamically softer than the pre-chorus, which is an interesting choice. You'd normally have the pre-chorus build into the chorus. It kind of shocks us as the listener into like listening a bit more intently because they drop down. There's some really cool panning between the guitar and the bass, with the guitar on the left and the bass in the right. Usually you're not going to pan the bass hard into one ear. Unless you're in the Beatles. Well, unless you're in the Beatles, and also because, you know, they're only really a three-piece with a singer. So when you've got a guitar here... You've got all of the space here. Oh, I guess they've got the organ as well. I keep forgetting about the organ. There's an organ, a weedy little I, organ. Honestly, yeah. I keep forgetting about them because it's like in all the videos, it's just the four of them. It's un, yeah, ever present. Apart from the fact that he's not present. Maybe you should have animated yourself into the videos. Didn't he just throw them into like the Lollapalooza episode? It's like little as background characters. I think so. Yeah, I don't even think they talked. Yeah, no, the Homer Palooza, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, I know it's got Peter Frampton in it. He's got a big pig that doesn't inflate, and Sonic Youth keep eating his watermelon. Oh, come on, Mr. Frampton. You're not going to eat all that watermelon out of his cooler. There we go. My next note is just bridge, ellipsis, WTF. This is one of those moments where it's like 
they really needed the producer to just slap them on the wrist and say no. Uh, I really, know. I, I really like it. The best bit of the song. That's what I yeah, think as well. It's, <laughs> it's, it, yeah. Okay. I'll agree with you that it's the best bit of the song, but it's like it's so not fitting. Yeah, but it make it's what makes it memorable. It's yeah, like, it's I wouldn't so crazy really... and unusual. And then it goes, yeah, just like this little weird Al Polka style. But that's that's like saying, you know, the fact that William Hung struggles to sing is what makes him memorable. Kind of. Do you know what I mean? Like you're, you're, you're taking the bad and making it good. Yeah, but this isn't bad. It's just different. It's a bad choice. It's arguably, arguably the rest of the song is the bad choice and this is the good <laughs> bit. Okay. All right. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Okay. Oh, Danny, you got notes for this one? Um, the first note that I made about this song was I feel like I need a nap after it. Um, it just feels so like <laughs> like intense and it's so yeah. fast and, it, and loud. And um, I think that's why I like the bridge because it's just so different. It's like a little bit of a break in all of that like, like pop punk kind of rhythms. I really like the kind of crazy kind of circus vibes. I feel like I'm in like some mad circus, right? In that bridge all those different things going on but just one thing that I was I couldn't really wrap my head around was the lyrics to this song as well because Gwen Stefani the rest of the album she you know writes about like serious topics or she's writing about her heartbreak and then here kind of contradicts that it's like about a girl trying to get a boy's attention which seems very unlike her because she's kind of accidentally like a huge feminist um you know talking about gender stereotypes and gender roles and other lyrics I don't know. That didn't quite sit right with me. I was like, where, where are you going with this? And then I was trying to think about the bigger picture. Well, maybe she's trying to get, maybe it's not a boy's attention. Maybe she's trying to get the music industry's attention or something like that. So, Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Was this one of the ones that Eric possibly wrote before he left? Maybe. Maybe that's a good point. Because in the first two albums, he, he wrote more or less all the lyrics and Gwen sang them, obviously. I, the I would took it from a kind of point of view of like, you perpetually get that cycle where you have a a guy after a girl but the girl's got a her eye on a on a different guy and that sort of thing so it's like mm. not necessarily that she's or maybe maybe rather it's better put that she's trying to get the attention of the wrong guy for instance or she's trying to get the attention of someone yeah. that's just not giving her the attention that kind of makes her want to give the, get the attention even more or maybe maybe with canal She's trying because, you know, they're going through that breakup. I did, I did just look yeah. it up and Gwen Stefani did write the lyrics to this song. Cool. All right. So the ending is just a bit of overkill for me, but it's fun. I'll, I'll put it like that and we'll move on. <laughs> kind of okay. If you're ending your set, in a live show, that's okay, but not on an album. <laughs> yeah, it seems a bit overkill, doesn't it? Yeah, but I, you know, when I'm getting critical like this, I feel like I am one of the suits that's like, no, you can't do that and you can't do that. And that's possibly the kind of person that they're doing that just to annoy. Yeah. You know? Well, they're writing this for themselves, aren't they? Not for the man. <laughs> well, they are, but it's it's also that kind of thing of like, you know, I know I've said at the beginning, you don't really want to always play by the rules of writing a song. You need to follow your creative thing, but sometimes a little bit of editing to your creative vision helps. So, Just a Girl is track number three. Forget Wannabe. Spice World. This should be the pro-feminist anthem. 
like I said, I heard the song as a 14, 15 year old and it hit me and like pulled me up off the floor, slapped me around and just made me reconsider quite a lot of stuff. Um, it's fair to assume that no doubt we're up against it, especially when you have little idiots like me who make a snap decision based off a video or even worse, based off gender. The intro features a dirty guitar, a weird synth, and eventually halftime drums. What are you doing? What? Oh, no doubt. Knowing what this song transforms into, I'm not a fan of the halftime, personally. No? No, I like the half, and we'll get there. When it gets to the bridge and they go into the halftime, that feels really appropriate. But for me, I'd prefer it if they were just in in regular time, not necessarily the double time, but in regular, like they are in verse two, and we'll get to that. I think it just it sets the song up wrong to have it pulled back that much, if that makes sense. It sounds groovy, but you know, considering yeah. that it just changes into an out-and-out rocker, I don't know. You might like that. It keeps you on your toes. You don't know what, oh, yeah. what's going to happen next. I was going to say, how would you have, would you have just started it? Just on straight up. Put a pin in that and we'll get, we'll get back to that because it's coming up. I've got the exact plan. The bass tone in the verse is great, as is the tasteful slide and the heartbeat rhythm. That slide is so smooth. I've said it before, I'll say it again, it's very difficult not to overuse the bass slide because it never doesn't sound good. <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's one of those things, it doesn't matter what you're playing, how you're doing it, if you throw a little bass slide in there, and it doesn't matter if they don't love it because you love it because it's, it's, it's a great feeling. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but no, it's very exactly, easy yeah. just to add it in like constantly. Uh, yeah. The chorus of this song is awesome. I'm just going to throw it out there. So you mentioned Tony Hawk before, but this is like peak yeah, Tony Hawk yeah, to me. Enough, That's yeah. like... What I like about it is, one, the lyrics keep changing in the choruses. So it's, it's not just that static chorus. It's It's continually evolving and evolving and evolving. It's almost like her message is too big to just have it put down to a couple of lines. She's got to actually, she's got more to say. And her vocals in the chorus are just phenomenal. Mm. But the, that delivery is worth everything on this album. The previous song, the delivery choices were a little bit strange. We're going to get into some stranger choices later. But that chorus just there is perfection. Then we get into the O's that are kind of BVs, but they are as loud, if not louder, than the main vocals. And again, this is Stefani doing all of the BVs herself. And it's just, I mean, the point of double tracking is that you kind of subtly beefing up the vocals, but this is so not subtle at all. Yeah, but should it be subtle? I I am with you, Jake, 100%. I love the line that they're singing. Wouldn't it be better if it was the guys in the band singing that? I disagree because their voice is so unique and and individual. I I feel like it really 
if it was like different, if it was men's voices, I don't think it would, it would go as nice. Mm. It sounds really. Well, it certainly cuts through the mix, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, so Jake, pulling the pin back out of our previous conversation, by verse two, we've lost the halftime groove and it sounds so much better in my opinion. This is, this is what, how they should have started. This, is, this should have been the first groove. I don't think it's an intro groove though. Maybe have it with the halftime until the vocals come in or something. I think the halftime definitely serves a, a purpose of allowing the song to evolve and build and be a thing. Yeah, maybe it's just that the halftime goes on too long. Potentially. Yeah. The next point that I have is the vocal delivery in verse two is possibly the best on the entire record. And this this is down as just great choices, my notes. Love the way her voice just like cracks up just a fraction. She's pushing it just that little bit. She's getting a bit of James Hetfield in there. But it's also <laughs> still just just like Gwen Stefani enough, you know? Yeah, no, I, I agree. Her vocal is great. And I think maybe it's because, you know, she's she's written the lyrics about this, something that she's really passionate about. Mm. Um, she speaks in interviews about how passionate she was about this song, how she was always so overprotected. And she's got all these stereotypes against her because of her gender. And you can hear that that passion. It's like she's trying, you know, she gets like, oh, I feel those. And then she's like, oh, no, you know, she's still delivering this beautiful vocal, even though she's got all this passion behind her. And yeah, it's mm. great. It's almost like the passion, yeah, the passion's starting to bubble over a little bit. She can't hold the passion mm, yeah. back. Which I love. It's like raw. It's like, it's what makes it so great, you know? Yeah, yeah. 100%. Okay, so... Next is the solo and my notes just say just just no. No, <laughs> stop it. Yuck. What would you have done in its place? Oh, clearly you dive bomb central. <laughs> <laughs> you know. I don't know. I just there's something so static about that line for me. There's it's not syncopated. It's just straight quavers. It's it doesn't do anything to advance the song. I mean, it's not a bad line. Rhythmically, it's all right. It's not a bad melodic line. Yeah, it's like a catchy pop. But could they have done it with something that wasn't a, an awfully affected guitar? I think that's the synthesizer. It might. It sounds like a synthesizer. Yeah. But similarly, it could be a really badly affected guitar. I always thought it was a guitar. But then when I was prepping for this, I was like, no, that's definitely the synth. So, yeah, I, I don't like the solo. So they should have kazooed it, is what you're saying. Oh, even that would have been better. Even that would have been better. But anyway, look, Gwen has to step in, help her big brother out with his solo by providing some scar checks into the mic. Makes it instantly so much better. And there's our scar for this song. We can... We can <laughs> Chalk it up, like, boom, <laughs> we've got our Scar influence. There we go. There's our Scar for the song. The bridge is basically a verse, although we're back into the halftime. And I do like the halftime coming in here. I think this, this is the perfect place for the halftime. I'm just a girl in the world. That's all that you let me be. Oh, I'm just... Because 
because the bridge is so short, it kind of makes sense to have the halftime there. It works. And then, you know, you're back in it. And also, again, talking about the passion and the vocals, she's really struggling to, like, stamp that passion down and keep it sounding quote-unquote good in there. The the vocals in there are just incredible again. Incredible. Right. Last note I have is about the endings. So over to you. I, I don't have much to add to that other than I really like the position of the song in the album. Uh, like I said, felt like I needed a nap after the last song. This is like a perfect release. I really like that it starts with that like halftime drum. Mm. It's, it's really, yeah, it's just a great song. Mm. I really love it. Yeah, this album, in terms of like the um, album layout, I mean, I mean, there aren't a lot of a lot of slow spots on the album, right? Mm-mm. No, there's a lot of energy. Mm. So it's it's kind of hard to say whether or not they front loaded it or not because um... oh no, they definitely didn't front load it. Don't speak <laughs> right at the end. <laughs> they haven't front loaded. That's not possible. Yeah, uh, it's funny because if you look at the plays on Spotify, Don't Speak does have more plays than the entire rest of the album combined. Yeah, and then I think this song has more plays than the entire rest of the album, apart from "Don't Speak" combined. Yeah, well, I mean, those are the two songs off the album, right? Those are the the two. Yeah, yeah. And this is this is part of my problem because this song and "Don't Speak" are so good. Yeah, that I think the album suffers because these two songs set such a high standard. And they get played a lot still. A lot. I mean, just a girl, not quite as much, but uh, don't speak for sure. Yeah. It's like anything that's not BBC radio is playing don't speak at least twice a day. Yeah. It's still an absolutely massive song. Yeah. So anyway, the ending for me is interesting. I'm going to play it and then I want to just discuss it very briefly. Sounds like it's supposed to go into Don't Speak, doesn't it? <laughs> I'd never considered that, but yeah. <laughs> it sounds like that guitar's supposed to come in. Yeah. And then they kind of went, no, we can't have the two singles like right no. next to each other. That's, I mean, we can. If they've bought the album, we literally don't care at that point. Um, <laughs> well, anyway, so um, there's some silly synths firing off in the stereo spectrum in that ending, which is okay. The band slow into a into a writ, which is a really cool thing to do, just slowing down for the ending. They end on a minor chord, which is like a opposite of a tears to Piketty, or maybe closer to an interrupted cadence, where, you know, for most of the song it's kind of been fairly major, and then all of a sudden we just get this one almost random minor chord. And that leaves us with a real powerful sense of dread. What we really need to do is create a powerful sense of dread. How many peep show quotes have you have you managed to sneak into this? No, just that one. Just that one. Stick that up your dojo. Just that one. Um, but it's 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 almost a bit of a statement of like you know, I've said what I've said. Now it's up to everyone else to change it. Mm. In a way, to right. change the system. But 
you know, it's almost like I, even though I've spoken my mind, I don't, I don't feel like the system's going to change kind of thing if that, because it ends on such a bummer. Mm. But anyway, the next song, Happy Now. Are You Happy Now? is the fifth single to be released. We've had the first two songs. We've had that song, Don't Speak, is definitely a single, and now Happy Now. So there's five singles off the record, if not more. Whenever I hear like that opening guitar riff to this one, I just think of like goosebumpsy kind of almost teen horror sort of oh, stuff. <laughs> you, you just hold your horses, young man. <laughs> a song about an ex breaking up with Stefani for Space. There is a powerful intro with the immense bass tone and Chad Smith drumming. Oh, wait, sorry. <laughs> I've got a few of these coming up where I just, I can't help it, but I hear other songs. I mean, don't get me wrong. That's an awesome intro and they are rocking out. But all I can hear is White Wedding. You know, all I'm expecting is that kind of like... The verse is a bit of a chugger with a mouthful of lyrics. She hardly taken a breath. There's an interesting harmonic change from the intro, though, in there. So we've gone from kind of fairly happy-ish to this kind of quite morbid. Hmm. Another bass slide as well. Into... And the chorus also has interesting harmonic changes, mainly ones that my ears are not expecting. It kind of, I'm not expecting it to go where it does. I'm not really expecting it to just keep descending there. I'm always expecting to hear it jump up to a higher chord. Is that is that just me? I I feel like that's just you. Uh, okay, <laughs> I like it. It's kind of yeah. it's kind of eerie, but I'm kind of here for it because it definitely so, gives it a bit of edge. Yeah, it goes I mean, with that attitude she's got. Yeah, when you compare it to um, was it that Mohit one where it literally just keeps descending? Well, that's that's uh, what I was thinking about because <laughs> I li- I literally listened to that this morning. We're here just like you're going to run out of space. Oh no, he's still going. It's like what if they tune that guitar to? Yeah, they're still not prepared though. They're still not prepared to give up on the scar. So here's our here's our scar moment of the song in the bridge. And I love the message coming out of the bridge here. I like that. Hmm. I kind of like that self-assurance. We've, I mean, we've all been through breakups. Maybe, maybe Jake, you haven't. I don't know. But um, I mean, I, I, I am the breaker upper. Uh, okay, there you go. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I just, I just wish I could have had Stefani's confidence, you know, um, or self-confidence there when, you know, I was fourteen, 
getting broken up with and whatnot. Yeah. But we we all wish we had more self-confidence when we were like 14, right? I mean, it's like the most awkward point in your life. <laughs> yeah, exactly. After another round of White Wedding, we get into a section in the riff that I've heard elsewhere and it bothered me for ages, but I've figured it out, Jake. Good old Bon Jovi. How long did that take you to find? (laughs) That took me days. It took me (laughs) days of just like playing, sitting here, going like this. Then like singing it back to myself, singing it back to myself, and I I finally nailed it this morning, and it was like, yes. Did you try to sham it by singing it? No, I didn't. I was literally, I just, whenever I get these moments, I sing it to myself and see where, where it goes. Kind of, I, I have enough faith in my brain to subconsciously take me to where I want to go. I just imagine um, you laying in bed, three a.m., just like, there's <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. piles of empty coffee mugs around him. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely wired. <laughs> Caffeine will kill you. Okay, so excellent work in verse three. The hits by the band and the vocal delivery is fantastic. She is just killing it at the moment. She's absolutely killing it. And then that's all I've got for this one. Uh, Well, interestingly, I found, again, in an interview when they were talking about it, this is one of the only songs where Gwen Stefani actually wrote the lyrics and the melody first. Mm. And then they filled Mm. it out with all the instruments. That would explain how they got White Wedding and wanted dinner right. alive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that might explain like why like the intros and stuff. But yeah, you can you can really feel the pain in the lyrics. That's real like F you attitude. You can hear the bite to it, can't you? Oh yeah. yeah. It really um enhances her vocal performance. At near the end where she um she delivers the first line like really like like gritty, like you know, punky, like really going for it. And then she like calms down and it gives that nice like vibrato to the buy that you yeah. buy yourself. Like it's, and then she does that again with the next line. It's kind of like that push and pull, like angry, but then kind of pitying them, like a bit sarcastic, a bit of joy in his pain. Like, I hope you're happy now. And mm. yeah, I just, I think it's a great, great lyrics, great vocal. 10 out of 10 for Gwen Stefani. Mm. Yes, Queen. Fair. I think 10 out of 10 to the band for this one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I really like it, even if they're stealing from other artists. Yeah, so 10 out of 10 to Billy, 10 out of 10 to John. You know. Yeah, Sambora. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I want to go back to your, your dingbell thing for the Scar. I want to say it's kind of prevalent throughout this album just through the bass. Like that, the bass tone and playing is quite rocky, but at the same time, it is peak Scar throughout this album. I think they just set one bass tone and went should, should we check no why would we change it that's the sound yeah. right okay uh, and he he does love a bass slide does mr canal well it's coming into this song for, yeah, exactly. straight in with the slide powerful yeah. powerful tool in a bass player's repertoire it shouldn't be the only tool but you know i feel like you could totally get away with it being your only tool 
Um, well, yeah, the uh, the song ends with double track guitar and softly sung vocals. Before we carry on, I'd just like to draw attention to Danny's PlayStation 5 she has on the floor behind her. Oh, it's definitely not a PlayStation, huh? <laughs> Have you seen a PS5? It's no. about that size and it looks exactly that like big? that. That big? Yeah. <laughs> like, not even joking. They're fucking huge. <laughs> that is my dehumidifier. Because <laughs> as I said earlier, I live in a you know a basement in oh, damp, rainy north. <laughs> That's fine. Oh, nice. I don't live in a basement, but this room might leak from time to time. <laughs> nice. Shouldn't do any more, but um, I don't trust the workman that came in to make the roof not leak anymore. Mm. The next song is, is Different People. You're right. I should have got different people in to sort out my you, roof. You should have. In the Brooklyn Nine-Nine vein. The intro is toy with hits on the skanking groove. There we go. The verse continues that groove with bubbly rhythmic vocals. I'm not believing Gwen Stefani on these vocals. You know, when she's singing Just a Girl and you're hanging on every word that she's saying because she's singing mm. it like this is, this is what she's living for. This just sounds a bit preachy to me, a bit kind of, you know... Writing the pro inclusion song because that's that's what we need to do. Well, her brother's on the credits for this song, so maybe it's. Oh, there you go. Even worse. Yeah, stick to the animating. <laughs> Some more of the overproduced harmony harmony vocals. This starts to become on the back end of the album. This starts to become a huge problem for me. Again, nothing against the actual harmony vocals, but. The mixing and the production of them, they need to be a little bit more subtle for my liking. They're just a bit too in your face that if they were in the background a little bit more, it would almost be disguised a little bit and it wouldn't be like, oh, that's Gwen Stefani singing with herself, if that makes sense. They're just a bit too in your face that takes me out of the music every time I hear these kind of little harmony lines. Fair enough. Uh, I, hadn't, I guess I hadn't really thought about it, so it obviously didn't bother me too much. But now you've pointed it out, I'm like, should I be bothered? You know? Well, but so it's, it's things like, you know, <laughs> you're going to get this all the time in pop music. Like, Kylie's really good at this. Madonna's really good at this. To an extent, Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera, you know, where it's just like one one line out of the verse is harmonized, but it's it's mm-hmm. so tightly concealed in the mix that you almost don't even realize that there's two voices singing. Like, maybe one more time. There's three voices singing in the chorus, and I never knew that until I actually listened to mm. it with, with proper headphones on and picked it out. Mm. You know, and it's it's just because it's been subtly, very subtly mixed. Whereas this is just 
slapping you across the face. Yeah, you know it's there. Yeah. What yeah. you're saying is they should have hired a different producer who was perhaps a little bit more competent. Well, let's be honest, right? Jimmy Iovine is like close to the band. And he's arguably one of the greatest producers ever. He's produced a lot of the Bruce Springsteen stuff, U2 stuff, and it does get better, Jake. Tom Petty. Now I'm There's only so now I'm high my blank. eyebrows can go. <laughs> he he's in business with Dr. Dre. Actually. <laughs> he he was the other creator of Beats. I thought Apple was the other creator of Beats. That's why no, it's they, Beats by Apple now. Yeah, they purchased it, didn't they? I know, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, they make a bold statement in the chorus with the riff falling by semitones, only to quickly abort it and go back to the scar groove halfway through. I don't even know why we had to do that massive rock and falling by semitones. Because it's cool. Yeah, but it's like it's so pointless in the song. Yeah, but 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 it's cool. Yeah, okay. Mm. Um there's a nice horn line happening after the bridge. And we're followed by a ripping guitar solo. Over to you guys. I've, I've, I'm running out of notes here. Well, I just looked at my notes and realized that Gwen did actually write the lyrics for this song. This is the very first song she ever wrote the lyrics to oh. when her brother was just starting to step back. Excuses, excuses. So she was kind of in like a, um, it's the first song, I want to be inclusive of everyone because it's my first song and yeah. I feel like I'm being included. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe. But I mean, this is, I was like reading like different forums and this is like a big fan favorite and it's actually Obama's favorite No Doubt song as well. Really? Just I mean, has yeah, he heard hella good? I mean, <laughs> has he heard Don't Speak? Seriously. Like, yeah, I know, right? Yeah. So I guess other people don't feel she's being uh, disingenuous. A lot of people do really like the message behind this song. Maybe it's not necessarily like disingenuous, but it just, it doesn't feel, it doesn't quite feel as... As passionate. I feel like you were going to say, it's not disingenuous, it just doesn't feel genuine. Yeah, it just doesn't feel (laughs) as genuine. I was totally going to say that. Yeah. But it it just does, it doesn't have the same kind of passion. It's not as earnest. It's, yeah. 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 So we end the song on the hits. Tito Puente there. It's uh, Mm. quite cool. I quite like it. The next song is... Hey, you! Scar. (laughs) Get it? Um, So, the the next song is Hey, You. It begins with a soft, arpeggiated acoustic guitar and a riffing, fretless bass solo.
out there in the cold, getting lonely, getting old. Can you feel me? So there are soft vocals, care of friend of the show, David Gilmore, who trades off his lead vocals through the song with Roger Waters, who ironically is the bass player of Pink Floyd, but does not play bass on that song. David Gilmore plays bass. I was going to say, it sounds like a shit Simon and Garfunkel. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, oh, no, he did. This in fact to that, just tell me that it's not like, oh, that would be so much better if they had done it. Don't you dare. That's like one of the greatest songs. Um, But speaking of trade, uh, special mention goes to producer James Guthrie of that song who gets a performance credit for playing a handheld power drill. I sold this Makita cordless power drill in the local paper and then six months later I received the very same one back as a Christmas present from my brother-in-law, minus the power pack. I see. So you... uh... You're the present you gave away, you then got back. Yeah, that's it. Goodbye. So it's making a statement about social expectations of perfect lives. Clearly, I've had you all. It, it was all a farce because that was Hey You by Pink Floyd from The Wall. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Actually. <laughs> I Honestly, <laughs> I was just so confused. I've not ever listened to that That's why I thought I'd get in with the Simon and Garfunkel yeah. thing. <laughs> um, Seriously, though. No. It no, sounds like I'm a not shit having Simon that. and Garfunkel I'm going to set Turnbull on you if you're not careful. He is mad passionate about the wall. Okay. But it would be better if Simon and Garfunkel had done that song. <laughs> the intro of Hey You. Hey You. By No Doubt. No Doubt, No Doubt, No Doubt, No Doubt. Features a wash of sitar. An interesting choice, because I'm not actually sure that we really hear the sitar again after that. Oh, you, you hear it right at the end. It's all about setting a mood, isn't it? It's like, yeah. this is the mood we want you yeah. to have. We can't be asked to actually keep the instrumentation throughout, so we'll have it prominent at the beginning, and that'll be in your head throughout. It does seem really random, though, because where where has this come from? <laughs> you know, the Beatles at least took the time to learn how to play the sitar, and include that on their records. This just sounds like they've kind of seen one in the studio and just yeah, knocked it over by accident as they started to record. So they'd waited 20 years, you'd get the electric sitar, you know. Oh, there you go. Yeah, exactly. That's a callback to the Unknown Mortal Orchestra episode. So the groove kicks in to establish a mid-tempo rocker. See, and doesn't just the essence of that sitar just flow through that? No, it doesn't, does it? Um. No. Um, (laughs) (laughs) The disjunct verse melody has a lot of leaps in it, which makes it quite memorable. The pre-chorus groove changes to a skipping beat with stabbed guitars. And let's be honest here, production, mixing, how loud does the tambourine need to be in the chorus? Just 
I feel like that's a thing, though, not just with tambourine, but with, like, egg shakers. People don't know where to put them. Boom. Then boom, follow suit, Rolling Stones, Beatles, everyone's turning up their tambourines. Jack Ashford, the man who made tambourine loud. There was a, I think it was a Biffy Clyro song. And every right. time I heard it, it got to a section, I was just like, why is the egg shaker so loud? Yeah. And then there's a exactly. lot of songs I listen to. It's just like, why? Why? I, I just feel like people don't know where they need to place a tambourine in a mix. It's shot up the chart. Boom! Exactly. Uh, there's more double track vocals and the end of the chorus has some radio tone and some awesome guitar harmonics. Props to the guitarist. I can't remember what his name is right now, but props to him because that's good work. I don't know how they've done it, Jake. Studio trickery, Stefan. It's always studio trickery. I don't know how they've done it, Danny. (laughs) But they've achieved the unimaginable. They've managed to resurrect Johann Sebastian Bach (laughs) for the keyboard solo. (laughs) Studio trickery, Stefan. Yeah. It sounds like it's JSB, but actually... um, (laughs) If you listen carefully... Your boy, JSB. <laughs> they've just cut up the uh, Ski Sunday theme tune and rearranged it very carefully. And There we go. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> what have you got to say about that one? Yeah, I guess I, I just have got a lot of question marks. I've got a lot of, you know, why a sitar? Why a harpsichord? I, I can't, like, remember this exactly, but reading my notes, it says, after bridge, guitar effect sounds like an alien. <laughs> Okay. Aliens are cool. It's such an unusual song. I mean, definitely like it's interesting to listen to because you just don't know what's coming next. Mm. Yeah. And I, the only thing I could think was because it is a song about the cynical views of marriage. And I thought, well, maybe she's arguing again about gender stereotypes. Maybe it's like a warning to herself because she's going through this breakup with Canal and she's like, oh, don't get caught up in these thoughts of marriage because it ain't going to happen, hun. Or then, and I'm clutching at straws here. I was just trying to make it Do make sense Do you think she calls head. herself hun all the time? I think so. <laughs> I call I'd her hope hun. So. <laughs> I, I think that's brilliant, yeah. Um, but yeah, and then I thought, well, maybe the Indian sitar, because the song is like about like traditional marriages, and obviously like marriage is, there's such strong like marital structures in Indian culture. Mm-hmm. And that's literally, I'm plucked this out of thin air, but I was just trying to understand why they made these choices. Yeah, that pretty much sums yeah. up my listening to this record is trying to understand their choices. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, the ending bookends the song with the sitar, a fairly kind of a gracious use of the instrument, in my opinion. I like to think it was going throughout the entire track and they were just like, oh, it's a bit shit, isn't it? <laughs> Shall we just yeah. turn it down apart from the beginning and end? It's a little bit on the nose, isn't it, really? Yeah. yeah. I am That's kind of I'd here like for it, think. though. It's, uh... I'd love to hear the sitar mix. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, take the harpsichord out while you're there. <laughs> yeah. Okay, the next song is The Climb. I can almost see it. A song about motivations and drive to be the best. Yeah. 
Well, I challenge you both. Tell me who has been listening to Sergeant Era, Sergeant Pepper's Era Beatles, eh? Can I tell you what I have been listening to? Do I want to know? I, I'm going to tell you. So, Forgot About Dre is a single from rapper Dr. Dre's album 2001, featuring vocals from rapper Eminem. Released as the album's second single on January 29th, 2000. Like Still Dre and his uh, protege Eminem's, uh, Eminem's song Without Me, the song addresses Dr. Dre's critics in a defiant manner as Dre announces his return to the hip-hop scene and reminds listeners of his significant uh, influence on the genre. I'm not reading this off Wikipedia. Um... It won Best Rap Performance by a duo group at the 2001 Grammy Awards, and it samples, no doubt, Song The Climb. Wow. And the first thing I heard, as soon as I put this on, I was like, I know this song. I know this, and not because of No Doubt. I've never listened to this No Doubt album in my life. Uh, <laughs> where yeah. do I know this from? And yeah, it didn't take me as long to look up as it did for you and Bon Jovi. It took me all about five minutes of thinking about it. I was like, forgot about Dre. But there you go. They sampled this, we forgot about Dre, and um, that's a much better song. And go listen to that. Is, isn't he, isn't Dr. Dre signed to Interscope as well? At the time, was he? At the time? Was this I'm the famous thinking, label that he was trying to get off his, off his back so that he could do his own thing? I don't know. I don't know. Well, we're not here to talk about Dr. Dre, so. We could be. If fine. We could just turn this into like a. We could just sort of curveball it into a hijack the episode, (laughs) yeah, and talk about 2001. It's a great album. (laughs) I'm gonna just throw it out there. This is a pretty awesome intro. I just checked it was on Interscope 2001. There we go. One of the best vocal deliveries on the record also. A very Beatles-inspired flute part is played on everybody's favourite instrument, Jake. The... The Mellotron. The Mellotron. (laughs) (laughs) I'll I'll just link that back to the start. I feel like we should explain Mellotron to Danny. Yeah, you can hear it now, right? I don't mean the instrument. I mean Mellotron. We came up with a character. Oh, yeah, transformer. It's going to be. We've got a new design idea for a t-shirt. Okay. And this is this is what I'm picturing, Jake. I've I've taken it and developed a little bit more. So we've got. Imagine like a grassy hill with a tree on top of it, right? Yep. Just 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 the single singular tree. There's a, a a being of sorts, leaning up, like resting against the tree, you know, sat down on the ground, resting his Mm. back on the tree. And it's actually a Transformer-like being, not a Transformer because then we can be sued. So it's a Transformer-like being. from a Transformer. Yeah, legally distinct. And he's playing a keytar and his name is Mellotron. I can get behind that. I can get behind. I also want to point out, so you've gone for the whole, um, obviously, Beatles thing. Mm. But this is like the most Pink Floyd sounding intro on the thing, and you've you've already used your Pink Floyd gag. <laughs> like this sounds really Pink Floyd. It's like that like guitar so. line as well. Yeah. It's just like 
See, I didn't know what that instrument was. I just put creepy circus vibes. <laughs> yeah, so it's a Mellotron, which is basically, it's like a, a keyboard instrument, but you can't actually sustain anything. So you have to play like oh, these yeah. little short notes on it, kind of like yeah. a harpsichord in Doesn't a way. Doesn't it use... Um, but it uses it's a samples. digital instrument. It uses sample, like yeah. uh, eight-second cassette tapes. There you go. Mm. Exactly. Yeah. V- massive in the late 60s, early 70s. A very early version of a sampler. Yeah. Only not quite as versatile as you'd think it would be. There you go. I've got my best people working on our Mellotron shirt, so nobody panic. It's going to be coming. It's going to be coming. Okay. Uh, Amazingly, though, reserved guitar playing from Tom Dumont. There we go. I've remembered his name again because I wrote it down. Who plays exactly one stab per chord, which allows the mix to breathe, giving everybody else space. The pre-chorus features a phased guitar taking on some of the melodic duties. The chorus has more double-tracked vocals. The second verse is much harder-edged a very aggressive double-tracked vocal that really shows off Stefani's skills. And then from out of nowhere... We get the horns and they're joined mm. by a xylophone and eventually a marching snare to create just a total circus vibe. Just just why? These are the best bits of the album, man. Yeah. Like where it just goes into these like, what? So, <laughs> yeah. That song was tracking up to be a really good song until they hid into that nonsense. It's like, all this album's missing is like a full-on mariachi band and it will be like the yeah, best exactly. thing ever. It's like, and I fear that you're saying that for the wrong reasons. Nah, man, it would be great. Why does it need to follow like a set, oh, we're doing this, this, oh, so we have to do this. It's like, no, fuck it. We're going to throw in a, a, a polka breakdown or we're going <laughs> to throw in like... You know, Terrible. We're going to get some Peruvian throat singers in now. Why not? <laughs> Terrible. Well, what have you got to say about this one? Well, this is this is one of the longest tracks. Uh, I think the the longest track they've ever written is like almost six minutes forty, six thirty eight, something like that. Uh, six thirty six, according to Spotify. Six thirty six. There you have it. You know, if you're going to have a song that long, I kind of feel like they need that chaotic circus. Mm. breakdown <laughs> to keep you interested but um Absolutely. i kind of like nuts <laughs> <laughs> what has happened here what's happened is that common sense and good thinking has prevailed yeah over. i like that every song there's something that's going to surprise you you know and this song is definitely one of those moments but i i really like so obviously the the lyrics are 
the climb and it's about um, pushing yourself in life. And I like that the verse is like kind of creepy and then the chorus is a bit inspiring and uplifting and this bridge is just a bit chaotic and it like really reflects like the ups and lows of life and trying to push yourself to get what you want out of life Mm. i feel like the lyrics as well there's like the imagery of the lyrics is really reflected in some of the melodic lines so after the bridge section she's every time she says falling and with the harmonies as well it's getting I'm losing all of my technical words here, but the, the melody, uh, yeah, it gets lower. There you go. And then it happens uh, the opposite way around with, I must keep climbing to the clouds where the melody gets higher and rises right. as if you're actually rising to the clouds. So I think there's some really interesting lyrical and melodic um, choices there. Mm. And you, like you said, this is a really good vocal from Gwen Stefani. She actually does say in um, interviews that it's one of her favorite songs to sing, especially live. Um, that really comes across that she's mm. she nails this one. Mm. Yeah, cool. Well, to to undercut all of the positive things you've said there, the ending for this song is too <laughs> long. Way too yeah. many egos involved. <laughs> it's just oh. Okay, well, the next song is 16. So how have we gone from like 1967 Beatles to 1992 Rage Against the Machine? I'm going to put out there, this is the worst song on the album. (laughs) Yeah, but that that bass tone, though. Yeah, it's just awful. (laughs) (laughs) Never mind, Jake. Don't worry, because that whole like groove that they set up disappears pretty quickly because the scar is back. Like, like this is legitimately the worst song on the album. You're gonna, you're gonna love my next note, then, Jake. Ready? Is it that it's the worst song on the album? No, it's that uh, I feel inclined to include a clip of the chorus, but I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> Um, verse 2 has a trumpet counter melody with some really cheeky rhythmic hits I like that that little hit at the end there the track sounds really cool the bridge has now forgotten that we're going for Rage Against the Machine and we're now trying to be like Living Colour. These children, they're not really bad, most of them. Just products of rough neighbourhoods and bad family situations. And during the few moments that we have left, we want to talk right down to earth in a language that everybody here can easily understand. Whilst looking for that clip, I found a um, Living Colour remaster of Cult of Personality where they've re-recorded and remastered it. It's terrible. It's not good. I prefer the original. But anyway, then we blast into just the most bombastic guitar tapping solo. (laughs) 
maybe they're going for the whole like we're sixteen and in a band vibe. Oh, we're absolutely. in our first band. I feel like yeah, it's like oh man, you know what's cool? The Chili Peppers and Rage Against the Machine and Van Halen. Yeah, but there you go. But we can't play as well as any of them. So let's. Uh... <laughs> no, exactly. Uh, That's really so, harsh. That's really harsh. That, they can definitely play, but um, but not man, as well as is... the Chili Peppers. Rage Against the Machine or... Definitely not as good as Van Halen. <laughs> Van Halen, no. Okay, um, have you got anything to add to this one? I hate this song. Yeah, okay, <laughs> oh, we've made that clear. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, I don't hate it. I do. No, it's not actually my least favourite song. It's definitely not my favourite, but um, I, I think uh, this song is for the, the teenagers that are going to buy yeah. their albums. Because let's face it, like that's a huge market that they're catering to and i do think it like perfectly reflects the hormonal ups and downs of being a teenager there's all this like teenage angst and even in the chorus there's like the vocal like ah over the top it reminds me yeah. of like screaming in my room when i was 16 or in the whoa whoa no it's like really easy to sing along to and get all that pent-up energy out so you know for, for yeah. what it's supposed to be it's called 16 it is a teenage angsty song and yeah yeah. It is what it is. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I think I can hear hear what's in Jake's mind right now. I hate you. I hate you. <laughs> I hate your hat. I hate your t-shirts. I hate your wristbands. I hate your shoes. I hate your music. I hate the C Nation. I hate everything that you stand for. That's him talking to the song, 16. Mm. So... The, uh, the ending actually features gang vocals from the other members of the band. This is the first time that we hear them singing on the record. Cool. Next song. Next song. <laughs> let's, let's get that one out of the way. Okay. So, uh, a post-breakup song where the other party begins to want what they can no longer have, making them seem parasitic. This song is called Sunday Morning. He's doing that joke again. (laughs) Flows in perfectly from the previous song with a galloping snare. Not sure about that bass tone in particular. I feel there's a lot of fret buzz going on. Um, that's just the same bass tone that's been going out for the entire thing. Trust me. But it doesn't sound as good there, though. Because he played it more sloppily then. <laughs> but it's the exact <laughs> same bass tone. That's fine. Uh, it sets up a nice groove. And this is the song of like revolving grooves because. They almost immediately change from that groove to the one drop for the verse. There is a cool musical refrain though with great vocals leading us in. That's really powerful. I like that one. The pre-chorus changes beat yet again. This time we're back to the Motown beat. And there's more crazy vocal double tracking. Well, 
that double tracking is just hideous. The chorus <laughs> changes beat yet again, this time to the good old, and I'll, I'll leave it for Jake to, to answer. Is that the old surf beat? That's the surf rock staple. Yeah. God, love it. That's all my notes for that one. As my notes start to get thinner and thinner. I don't mind this one. I think it's quite fun. Yeah, I like yeah. it. I just don't you know. like the revolving groove. He changes every every couple of bars. He's changing his beat. That's kind of fun, though. You know, it's a thing of like it? it's boring just to do the same old. Yeah, I don't know if you ever tried to like play along on drums to like ACDC or something, but it's boring. That would explain why the. Uh, the drummer was in New Zealand court for, I think, methamphetamine. What you're saying is rock beat one again. Okay, right. Yeah. Crash? Glad in an extra... Cr- no, I can't. Okay, right. <laughs> Imagine that, right. Imagine that's your life. And yeah. then suddenly, boom, no doubt. And you could be like, man, no doubt I could do whatever the fuck I want. You know? Yeah. yeah. I'm the okay. best drummer in the world. No doubt. No one better than me. No doubt. Yeah. And something's got to keep it interesting, Stefan. If not the drums, then what? <laughs> I just, there's so much change going on. I can't, I can't cope with it. Yeah. And did Getting you have old. anything to add to this one, Danny? Uh, not really, other than um, how it like links back into like with the album cover, that kind of 1950s utopia, but it's not quite what it seems, that closer look. She's this, this theme, that things aren't as they seem. Yeah. Comes back. And this does reflect the music video as well. She's like, oh, like 1950s housewife. But then, is this another single? <laughs> yeah, this is one of the singles. Was yeah. that single number six? Oh, it's got more plays than other songs. Yeah, I can see that now. Okay, uh, fair enough. <laughs> um, I'd just like to quote Philatites here from Disney's Hercules, as voiced by Danny okay. Vito. I've got two words. I have been around the park before with cockheads just like you. White limo syndrome. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. 100%. Now, if you're not familiar with White Limo Syndrome, Danny, it's where you've got a comparatively weak song followed by more or less the best song on the album. So you just skip it every single time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, because why would you listen to it when you're so close? So <laughs> close. Just one skip away. <laughs> just one little tap of the button. And on that note, let's, uh, let's end that one out. We've done it, team. We've done it. We've arrived at the song of all songs. That's right. Tattoos, all the things she said. Um, Don't speak, I said. The ultimate breakup song. Post rumors, of course. I was going to (laughs) say. But let's be honest. How hard must it be to break up with someone, then continue to work with them, let alone use the breakup as creative inspiration? And then have your biggest hit of your career that's, like Jake says, 26 years later, still being played daily on the radio. At least twice. At least twice, yeah. That must be tough to like yeah. get up and go to work every day. Well, I read a, I watched an interview with him, with Canal, 
And he said that everything went so crazy because obviously they just like, they exploded with popularity around this time. Yeah. He was just like working and like doing the songs. And it wasn't until like a couple years later, he actually sat down and listened to the lyrics and he was like, oh shit. Oh really? <laughs> oh shit. That's what these are all about. But I, maybe he purposely didn't let himself think about it, but. Maybe that's how that's how he got through it because he, he, he was too focused on bass slides. I'll be I'll be honest. I in most of my bands, I've never once listened to the lyrics. <laughs> Ouch! You know you're talking to two former lyricists for one of your bands. <laughs> yeah, but I, yeah. I, I play like, myself sleep. Yeah. I play a proper instrument in bass. So uh... <laughs> oh, oh shit! So he did oh, it. Ouch! No, I've always been just too concerned with like being in tune with other things and in time with the drums to really pay attention to what's being sung. As someone who's not um, a lyricist and is, you know, purely focused on instrumentation and playing what yeah. I'm playing, I can totally see not not realising what the song was about until years later. As a vocalist, like, I don't listen to, to lyrics as much as I should. It wasn't until, like, I actually sat down and listened to this album, I got what Just a Girl was about. Mm-hmm. So I can see it, it easily happens. Yeah. Oh, I'm, yeah. I'm always lyrics last. Mm. Absolutely. Like, it's music and melody first. But anyway, this song is almost perfect. I'm just going to throw it out there. The <laughs> only thing I would do is like shorten it ever so slightly, but it is literally, it's almost better than White Limo. I'm surprised you guys never did a cover. No. Would have been perfect I mean, for Big Band's Party Band. Perfect for like every wedding function, yeah. you know. It's like Careless well, it Whisper. Is, it is like a ruthless breakup song, though. Yeah. So it's like Careless Whisper. It's perfect at a wedding. Yeah. It's like all the people that um, well, they get married to uh, every breath you take. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like their first dance. Once again, though, people don't listen to the lyrics, do they? They yeah, don't care what exactly. it's actually about, you know, exactly. being a weirdo stalker slash yeah. sex pest or just sting. <laughs> sex pest. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> The intro features a a double-tracked guitar. Panned in both ears. Yep. And the verse is just very, very tasteful. That's just... Lightning in a bottle, perfect. Mm. Some very, very tasteful vocal double tracking coming up as well. So you can't tell me for for the rest of the album, we don't know how to double track properly because he's nailed it on this song. (laughs) The chorus, the first chorus at least, is just pure 90s alt rock, kind of four non blondes. That's all I can hear. Sounds like it would fit perfectly on an American Pie soundtrack or Dawson's Creek. I just want to step in and say, um, once again, having covered this, man, it's really fun to play. That bass line is great. <laughs> it's <laughs> so good. It's like, you don't realize it's quite it's quite full on to play. Compared to everything else, it's, it's got yeah. quite a lot of movement to it. Well, he's, a, he's a scar bass player, you know? 
scar bass players, the bass players are the ones that hold down the most notes, really. Um, so the second verse has some Hello. added for extra gravitas. They can be I'll forever recognize the use of cello as the Wonderwall move as the first time I ever really noticed the cello in a pop song was in Wonderful. Really? Yeah. Like, and that's just egregious. Anyway, the second chorus has really tasteful double track vocals as well as the stereo spread of guitars. We've got acoustic in the right and electric in the left. And who called Carlos Santana? Because there's a nylon string extra gravitas solo coming up. That's such a Santana move. I'm going to throw this out there. Tambourine's too loud again. Jack Ashford, the man who made tambourine loud. But uh, the solo ends with a muted trumpet. Which again, I feel like was a very common thing in the in the nineties. I love the idea that they got someone into the studio, this trumpet player. It's like, right, okay, you're going to play on this. It's going to be like the big single for the album. What do you want me to do? I want you to do one muted note. Yeah, and kind of <laughs> I want make you to it go hard on that one muted note. But that's it. Yeah, and uh, similar to Cake songs, I just feel like that trumpet is very nineties. Like ending a section with the kind of noir trumpet. But they paid someone to come in and do that. <laughs> I know. Um, <laughs> a brief reintro of one line of the verse while the band build up to the chorus happens. And then I'm going to save the best bit till last as we uh, end out the song. So, thoughts. Okay, well, how did you not reference um, the similarities to the, the intro, Dream On by Aerosmith? Oh, yes, yeah, Stefan. How did you not Actually, get that, Stefan? That's a good point. <laughs> 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 My head's just exploded. Yeah. Well, you're wow. welcome. <laughs> oh. Wow. You, you've won. You've won the game. Thank you very much. But yeah. no, I, I with just had to know about the Spanish guitar solo. Um, and this is. Well, I'm just changing who I want to do my cover of what song. Um. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Good idea. What, what, what were you saying about the guitar, Danny? Now, this is not something I noticed because I always just thought, oh, that's nice, isn't it? You know, oh, it is. It's really nice. Um, but I was reading about it and it was actually, it's that is six takes that they had to cut and paste together. It's a comp. Oh. Yeah. Dirty yeah. comp. Six oh. different takes. And also even the guitarist was like, I know I'm doing this technically incorrect because he used a pick rather than using his fingers. So it's, it's it highly inaccurate. Yeah. But it is beautiful nonetheless. That's yeah. just for the, the music nerds out there. But other than that, I mean, it's just, it's just, oh, it's a tasty song, isn't it? I, I've got to ask, right? It's it's a great sounding guitar solo. Yeah. But it's not a complicated guitar solo. Why is it a comp of six takes? Why didn't they get them to make 
Because they had to cut so much of the tapping out. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, mate, you've, you've got Interscope money. You're on a real record label now. Yeah. Take your time. Keep Do the take. Do it in like a real take. Yeah. You know, you're not some poor scrubber anymore. You've just got to do what you can and then stitch it together. Exactly. Exactly. Although, <laughs> to be fair, in those days, stitching it together would have probably been quite a task. Much harder than just yeah. doing the take. Yeah, true. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so yeah, this is this is clearly one of the best songs from the band's career, let alone the album. And it's it's hard because it's just it's just hard to get past the song. How good it is from the, yeah. the opening notes of the song, you're already captured into a bit of a mood. But in total kind of keeping with the formula, they do like double choruses at the end and it just builds and builds mm. and builds. We get some awesome, awesome ad-libs like the, I know you're goods. I, uh, I like that. I know you're good. I know you're real good. And then, of course, the scatting. Scoop up. Don't start scatting. So even in their big hit, they still get to have a little bit of scar in there. But the scatting at the end, and just a, a warning, Jake, this is a long clip. Pretty good. Pretty good. It's all right, I guess, isn't it? Real good. Okay, the next hey. song is <laughs> You Can Do It, which is a song about Townie from The Waterboy. You can do it! Cut his fucking head off! You can do it! I was it. hoping for that. You can do it! I was hoping for a little bit of a... Hoping for a bit of Rob Schneider there. I'm going to go do it! Um, yeah. Just do it. <laughs> I got I got way too many of these, eh? Danny's not impressed. That's my favorite one out of them all. It famously, yeah, sorry, famously covered by idols. Okay. The intro sounds like it was lifted from a James Brown song. And now it just moves into total 70s adult film. Yeah. The vocals in the verse are double tracked and it sounds like a kind of Spice Girls or Kylie song. I can really actually hear Kylie singing that. The chorus is just forgettable at best. The instrumental bridge begins with another muted trumpet, so he, he did play on two songs at least. And there you have it. Those are my notes. I'm starting to really thin out down here at the bottom end. 
I kind of feel like you've you've come said like surprise us. I think it sounds a bit like acid jazz. It's kind of got that vibe to it. You remember we were talking about like game soundtracks. We were talking about Persona Five. Yeah, I feel it's really kind of that sort of thing to it. It's got like a lot of like yeah. I don't mind this one. Really, uh, it's Dan is my least favorite. Ooh, it's a fence. No, it's soft. Ah, what's happening? The shapes, the chaos. Yeah. Oh no, because sixteen is the worst song, and then therefore <laughs> this is automatically better than sixteen. And it's like I say, it's got that cool, almost acid jazz vibe to it, with like the muted trumpet and stuff. It, just, and it's just it like, doesn't go with the album, though. Like, but Danny, that's a big surprise. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's not a good surprise. <laughs> None of them have been good surprises. <laughs> I like the funky surprises where I feel like I'm in a crazy, like creepy circus. I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to go back to like you know the seventies right now. I just, yeah. uh, I think it's cheesy and I'm not a fan. I no. just feel it's a great tactic. It's like, well, what do you follow the best song on the album with? A complete <laughs> curveball that's nothing like the rest of it because well, what the rest of it's going to be shit by comparison, right? It just, it just doesn't even matter what you do. You may as well just go like, ah, fuck it. We've got that guy in to play that one trumpet note. Let's, uh, let's see what he wants to do. Like, <laughs> this is one of the only this. songs that they all had, um, they're all like listed as co-writing this song. Yeah, because they That's just reformed, they yeah. just reform jammed it after yeah. they got the trumpet guy in. We don't need scat at this point. Exactly. That was you all know, done in one take. Is it memorable? No. But is it no. fun while it lasts? Yeah. No. I've I've had enough. I need to end this one. It's like mass going out on a massive on like a massive bender. It's great while it lasts. You don't really remember it the next day. You know, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> that wild guitar, beautiful. <laughs> Great. Right. The I next think I'm going to put this as my favourite song on the album. Is World Go Round. My first note is, oh no, is this another ballad? Are they trying to double dip on Don't Speak? Like a country ballad. Well, yeah. You know, I, just, I just heard it and I thought, oh God, they're not doing it, are they? And then the next note is, nope. Because uh, we're saved by the scar. The organ sounds really good, actually, in the verse. No real groove change for the chorus. And then verse two has some really cool bass development. That's all I got for this one. I'm I'm really beginning to run light. I don't think I made any notes on this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The only notes I've got is yeah, it's just the only one that has that like country kind of influence. You hear it first in the intro in the guitar, but then also some of the vocals like that, which is makes the world go round, and it's like just that single voice, world go round, world go yeah. round. You know, you can imagine that one mm. person, the gospel or something singing that one and then there's like after the bridge as well in the chorus she almost gets this hint of a country accent we'll go round and like yeah and I, again i'm kind of confused like where but i guess it's you know it's cool they're, they're playing with another genre 
keeping us on our toes. And again, I like that this is showing that Stefani like does try to write about stuff that actually matters. They're not just all like love songs, um, like a lot of pop songs are. It's, yeah. Yeah. The only thing I do think I have this one, I feel like they've sapped, and once again, I'm not a massive Scar fan, but they've sapped all of the fun out of Scar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. This is, this is probably closer to like reggae almost. Though, you can have fair. low energy, like something like Ghost Town. But Ghost Town's still a fun song, right? Yeah, That's exactly. Like... <laughs> right, let's get rid of this one then. Okay, the next song is End It On This. The intro features a chuggy guitar. Sounds kind of like 80s Billy Joel almost. Yeah, a little bit, yeah. I like the piano motifs. And Stefani's vocals sound pretty good on this track as well. The chorus piano sounds familiar. I couldn't put my finger on what that sounds like. I feel it's quite a generic arpeggiated chord though, isn't it? Is that bad? Like Coldplay. Oh, it might be the Coldplay, yeah. Clocks. Not quite there, but yeah. It's not quite there, but it's arpeggiated in the same way. And that's yeah. all I think it is. It's just it's just a standard arpeggio for a chord. I'm gonna have to just chug a whole bunch of caffeine and stay up all night again <laughs> and figure this one out. Um I really hope I get a text at like 4 a.m. with the answer. Oh, don't don't test me. Don't <laughs> test me. You know, I've got the kids at home. I will be up at four. You know it. Um, so a cool guitar line in the bridge. And the guitar solo has a pretty good tone as well. Maybe not what they're actually playing, but that does sound fairly Chili Peppers. Definitely, very Californication era. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, what have you guys got to say about that one? They should have ended it on this. <laughs> um, thank you. He never get. He never gives me the ding. Um, so that's that's quite nice. <laughs> I beg your pardon. Steady, <laughs> 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 <You> boys. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I haven't really. Yeah, I've got a massive amount to say. Like right. I said, that it's um, I said about the arpeggio, the honky tonk thing, but I yeah. I just concluded it was the standard thing. I couldn't think of anything in particular that it was. Um, yeah, my only notes were on the piano and simply just the fact that there is piano in it instead of like some type yeah. of keys of keys or synth sounds. He actually yeah, uses exactly. a, a piano, which is kind of cool to hear. I like I like his use of the piano. Yeah. All right then. Well then, let's uh, let's end that one.
actually, given the way that that one ends, that would actually be quite cool for, to finish the album on. And then bonus track, baby. It's the name of the album. Oh, boy, I usually only get this excited when they say the title of a movie in the movie. There we go. There we go. The last song on the album is Tragic Kingdom, the namesake of the album. It's a play on words for Disney's Magic Kingdom. I did wonder that. Yeah. The intro features a sample of like a warning at Disneyland and some hits. Remain seated, please. Permanecer sentados, por favor. The verse has a dirty groove. My next note just says chorus. And then the bridge sounds like it could have been from Danny Elfman's Nightmare Before Christmas. Sweet. Which would kind of fit with the whole Disney theme. Mm. And then another a fi- final track. Why wouldn't we have a tapping solo? <laughs> yeah. okay. It's like okay. Babby's first tapping solo as well, isn't it? It's like, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's like literally anyone could just like, yeah. it's like oh, oh, down a oh, semitone. And then back up, yeah. All right. Final thoughts then. Final thoughts on this song. It's a, it's fine. Yeah. It's it, it it's a song that's on this album. Yeah. <laughs> well, I love it. I think it's so crazy. It like sums up the whole album, like random and crazy. You don't know what's coming yeah. next. That's like it's. By oh, so far, you like surprises now, do you? <laughs> it's by far and away not the worst song on the album because the worst song on the album is sixteen. By a country mile, but it's not you yeah. can do it either. So you know, <laughs> yeah. Okay, all right. I do still have some some unanswered questions. Oh no, I, I won't spoil the ending, but the ending leaves a really big question mark in my head. But I was reading more onto this whole Disneyland idea, yep. and there's like a, a lot of sort of rumors about whether it's actually about Walt Disney himself being evil. Did you? think about that or you just I, I didn't come across that no uh, I thought that was quite interesting there was even one bit where have you heard that rumor that Walt Disney was actually frozen so that his body could uh, yeah right yeah, when medicine that. yeah yeah gets good yeah. enough they can revive him and that kind of coincides with the lyrics his tears are frozen stiff icicles drip from his eyes kind of nice. hinting that maybe it is about I, Walt Disney himself it's just, wow. it's literally only just clocked that Disneyland's in Anaheim, isn't it? Yeah, it's right of by Anaheim. Yeah, it's right yeah. where they're from. Yeah. And then also, because it obviously it's about like the theme park, it kind of answered my question of like, why all these circus kind of hints having earlier? S- and then it kind of ties into that at the end here. Having said that, isn't Magic Kingdom at Disney World in Florida? I. No, this is this is way beyond my Disney knowledge. Yes. In I don't Disneyland, know. <laughs> isn't it Fantasyland in in Disneyland? You're you're the one that's been to Disneyland, Jake. Oh no, I've not been to um, California Disney. I've only been to Disneyland Paris and Disney World. We're actually tied. Then I've been to Disney Tokyo. Ooh. Yeah. Anyway, let's finish out the song. I want to hear what Danny has to say about that.
Who lit the elephant in the room? Star Wars, right? Why Star Wars? Well, Where did that come of, from? I don't think they were doing Star Wars. I think they were doing... Bah, 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 bah. No, there's definitely Star no, Wars in the background I am so surprised that uh, John Williams isn't suing people. What you're saying is that um, no doubt predicted that Disney would purchase Lucasfilms. Oh, oh shit! Wow. Yeah. Mind blown. Yeah. All of the birds died in 1986 due to Reagan. It all makes sense. There we go. It all makes okay, sense. Okay, so we, we have come to the final part of our show where we uh, we come up to some final questions. And Danny, I forgot to tell you, we've uh, added another question. Ooh, exciting. Yeah, so putting you on the spot, but in a moment. Firstly, favorite track, please, Danny. Okay, well, I'm tied between two. Is it Don't Speak and... Uh, and, tra- and Tragic Kingdom. <laughs> I love it. Oh, okay. All right. It's so all right. dark and creepy and crazy, and it like mashes all of these different influences together. But um, obviously Don't Speak. I mean, it is up there because it just brings me back to like the '90s, like you know, screaming yeah. in my room along with it. You know. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I'm half tempted just to annoy people, just to go if you can do it. <laughs> it's <laughs> like I love it. It's so fun. No. It's like trumpet guy gets his gets his moment to shine after being snubbed in "Don't Speak," but um, obviously it's "Don't Speak." Obviously, it's don't speak. It's I the think it's fairly song. unanimous. Yeah, my I've got two, and they're don't speak and just a girl. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Literally, you just don't get better than those two songs. Okay, so the second question is: Who would you get to cover, or who would you like to cover a song? Oh gosh, so I'll go Jake first. Well, I uh, I didn't. I was kind of umming and ahhing about this, but thankfully, Danny sorted that out for me. So I want Aerosmith yeah. to cover "Don't Speak." Obviously, yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Thank you, Danny. Yeah. <laughs> You're welcome. Other than that, it would be someone like uh, I'd quite like to have who's a famous trumpet man, um, Louis Armstrong, uh, yeah. <laughs> to do You Can Do It, <laughs> right? God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> what I do, what I want is I want the guys who did the Pepsi Man theme to do oh, You it. Can Do It. Stop it. <laughs> Yeah. Danny, there's a great there's a great channel right. on YouTube called 8-Bit Music Theory. Absolutely phenomenal. He breaks down uh, a lot of video game music in quite in-depth um, detail going into the theory of it. And he did the Pepsi Man theme tune. And you're doing yourself a disservice by not watching that video. It is absolutely amazing. Like Pepsi Man, 8-Bit Music Theory. Brilliant. Right. Like if no Danny, one else, who would you if like no one to takes hear? anything away from this, leave this in. Pepsi Man, 8-bit music theory. I cannot stress it enough. It is amazing. It will change the way you see things about Pepsi Man. Not much else. Well, my choice is to hopefully change Jake's mind about the song 16. So I'm going to go for 16 because I actually, you know what? I want to see if we can make him hate it even more. So I'm going to go for K-pop band uh, BTS. Covering 16. <laughs> oh, I've got nothing against K-pop. I don't know. I mean... Okay, well, I'm going... Courtney Barnett doing a cover of Just a Girl in her Australian monotone kind of voice. I think she'd do that quite well. Add an extra layer of irony to it. Mm. Or the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones doing Spiderwebs. I think they would do a fantastic That's cover a of Spiderwebs. 
It's a very um, good shout. So this is the new question, Danny. We're we're tracking recommendations. Okay. So like, if you like this album, check out this other album. Okay. So Jake and I will go first. I've chosen a really obvious one. Yeah. Pretty, pretty obvious. I've I gone wonder if we've come for, up with the same one. I hope we have, because it's a damn fine album, the one I've gone for. Was it Turn the Radio Off? <laughs> no, I have gone for Sublime by Sublime. Ah, the other the other option I had in mind. Exactly. <laughs> it was yeah. either, do I want Sublime by Sublime or do I want Turn the Radio Off by Real Big Fish? I went Real Big Fish. Oh, uh, good, good. <laughs> nice. I didn't think you would. So, Danny, does anything spring to mind? No, guys, this isn't my genre. This isn't the what I would usually listen to. Oh, but I guess you could you could use one of her um solo albums. Mm. Does anyone know a name of her solo album? Because I'm um, Sweet Escape, is it? Or the Great Escape? Uh Gwen to this time it's personal. Uh that was just her second album. <laughs> Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> yeah. Gwen to Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> what was, what was Yeah, we'll album? go for the Sweet Escape. By there we Gwen go. Stefani. That's got the song with Akon on it. That was a damn fine song. Okay. Jake is Tragic Kingdom by No Doubt. No doubt, no doubt, no doubt. Gonna go into your top ten. I think you're gonna find this answer surprising. Um no. Yeah, so <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, I had higher hopes. This was a bit like Justified for me. Justified, Justified was a lot more disappointing than this. <laughs> I don't know. I've 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 built a much bigger kind of opinion of this album. Outside of sixteen, none of this has been actively unpleasant to listen to. Justified <laughs> was um, Justified was yeah, difficult. Justified. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the final question then. The final question is is. Tragic Kingdom by No Doubt A Sound Purchase Danny Yes Jake I mean sure I probably wouldn't but that's because I don't like Scar but if you like Scar and left turny sort of albums yeah sure it's fine I was in a high school Scar band I'm a big fan of Scar and I'm not recommending this album Dun, dun, dun. I mean, the two songs, Just a Girl and Don't Speak, are by far some of the best music ever written. Like, it is up there. It's so good. But the rest of the album is trash in comparison, and I just can't stand by it. I won't have you speak about you can do it in that, that manner, to be honest. Um, <laughs> well, you know what? I can do it. So You can do yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. So there we have it. A yes from Danny, that it is a sound purchase. A yes from Jake, it is a sound purchase. A tentative yes. It's it's less a sound purchase, more of a pick it up if it's the buy one get one free option, or if it's heavily if reduced. It, if it's like a five, if yeah, it's like if, a fiver, <laughs> sure. There's yeah. worse things you can spend a fiver on. Yeah, I know this album means a lot to a lot of people, but I just can't stand by it. I'm, I'm kind of contractually obliged to say yes because otherwise Chloe will smother me with a pillow in my sleep. Oh, don't worry. Yeah, my my wife. This is one of her big albums. That's why I'm a little let down by how rubbish it is. <laughs> yeah, because she's she's built it up over our marriage about how awesome this album is and how much it means to her. And you know, we put it on and listen to it. It's fine in the background, but when you actually sit down and listen to what they're doing, and it's like, oh, 
I don't. No. I enjoyed the journey, guys. It was a wild ride yeah. listening to that. I'd I'd recommend it, but it's good fun. Yeah, I'm still not <laughs> going to recommend it, though. I'm afraid. Okay, I am Stefan, and this was a sound purchase, a podcast that does a deep dive to explore iconic recordings. This episode was proudly produced by Robbie Mortimer. You can show your appreciation for this episode when you like us, review us, share us, and subscribe to us. Each engagement makes this effort all the more worthwhile, and the best way to grow this podcast is by word of mouth. Support is appreciated. Check the show notes and up-to-date top tens list and other musings at asoundpurchase.com. You can engage with us on social media under the handle soundpurchasepod. You can support us by getting yourself a Sound Purchase t-shirt, hoodie, or mug by going to asoundpurchase.com forward slash shop. Other episodes of A Sound Purchase are available at all of your favorite podcast platforms. Why not subscribe to be a friend of the show? where you'll gain access to a hidden corridor of our website that contains exclusive blog posts, the Hall of Top Tens, special Friends of the Show merchandise options, and a series of bonus pods. Subscribe now at asoundpurchase.com forward slash F-O-T-S. If you've enjoyed the sounds during today's episode, visit your local record store and pick up a copy of the record support your local businesses and artists 